0: This is the Washington Indivisible podcast. I'm your host, Stephen Cox. Well, it is time again to check in on the 2024 election and see how it's shaping up. And so we welcome back our friend Kevin Jones. He is the leader of Indivisible Vashon and is also the leader of the Win Elections Group. Hey, Kevin, how are you, man? I'm doing good, Stephen. You know, I'm all I'm all ready to have this
1: conversation this earlier today. I was in what might be one of the truest forms of democracy where our local community council, a committee has just been created. It was the kickoff meeting of the committee. And we're talking about basically a large corporation using their corporate muscle to uh, talk people into giving them easements on their personal property so that the corporation could generate some benefits for itself. And uh, so what better way? than to bring a group of people together to talk about our power and our influence about how we are governed. So um, I think that's really the theme of what we're talking about here. And I just had a wonderful example this morning. Uh, So I'm all ready to
0: go. Love it. This is what democracy looks like, as they say. Absolutely. Yeah. So, you know, we've seen some changes in things since last month. I want to start with the status of states that Democrats are going to be focusing on to win in November. In terms of the White House race, since this is obviously everybody's very focused on this. uh, Talk a little bit about how this math is currently looking. Which states does Biden need right now and in which combinations to win?
1: Yeah, that's... um a really straightforward question with a probably more complicated answer than you'd like to hear. But um, we have a a good friend who does this kind of math, right? Um, Michael Podhorzer. And what Podhorzer did is he looked at all the states that Biden won by a pretty good margin. We're talking about the eastern seaboard, except for North Carolina, South Carolina, Florida, the West Coast, um, and, and basically said, okay, Biden's going to probably win all of those again. There's six states that were really close uh, in this last election, and what we're talking about is the blue wall, right? Wisconsin, Michigan, Pennsylvania, and we're talking about Nevada, Arizona, and by the way, Georgia. Right. It came in with a Biden win of only two tenths of a percent. It's the closest race uh, in the in the Biden win in 2020.
0: It's 17,800 something votes. I that believe is was, it was, how the quote goes, something <laughs> oh, like that. Well, yeah. we, we have heard a
1: former president quote that number. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> of course. Um, so the deal is Podhorser says, OK, of those six, which are like right in the middle, you know, the, the close, really close races, uh, by the way, he didn't include South Carolina, which is equally close. But apparently South Carolina uh, or is it North Carolina? I think North Carolina. Um, North Carolina, a Democrat, hasn't won that seat for quite a while. Yeah. So fair enough to Michael, right? So we're looking at these six states. And what he's saying is in order for Biden to win, you need to have either Pennsylvania or Georgia plus Michigan. Okay. Well, Got it. you need more than that. <laughs> okay. If you give all of the states to uh, basically to Biden that he won, fairly handily last time. You know, he ends up with something on the order of 200 and 226 okay if you give all those states to to Biden. Uh the the easily fairly easily won. Now of these six states, let's say that he wins Biden wins the most favorable three. In other words, the one he the ones he won by the largest percentage last time around. Okay, that's awesome. That includes Pennsylvania by the way which has the largest number of electoral college votes. If he wins those three, then he only needs to win one of the other of the six. Okay, so if he wins Michigan, Nevada, Pennsylvania, the most favorable to him, all he needs is one of Wisconsin, Arizona, or Georgia. Okay, and basically what Podhorzer says is, okay, so maybe if you don't get Pennsylvania, which is the largest number, well, who's gonna come along to replace that loss well the only way you can get a big enough number to do that is by winning both georgia and michigan it's only because of the fact that they have a larger population and they have a larger number of electoral college votes
0: okay got it so this but, is really uh, impacting the the states you're focusing on obviously so you're looking at either to reach 270 Biden needs to either win pennsylvania or Georgia and Michigan. Um, and 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 if he gets Pennsylvania, oh,
1: by the way, he needs like Michigan and Nevada and one of the other three states. So it's not just, oh, win Pennsylvania, you're done. But it's the criticality of Pennsylvania. And if you don't get Pennsylvania, the criticality of Michigan and Georgia. And that's really Podhorser's message. So he helps us focus on what, you know, in other words, focus on the states with the big number of Electoral College votes got to get those, but make sure you also understand it's more than just those big number states that you've got to get in Biden's camp.
0: I know this impacts all the number crunching that you're doing. And another big factor uh, this year is redistricting. We, of course, had the census in 2020. We here in Washington have redistricted uh, census census. Uh, which other states right now are still dealing with redistricting issues and why?
1: Uh, you know, I I, would, I thought that number would be pretty darn small. It turns out Washington is
0: redistricting, legislative district. Well, then I, the I, I stand corrected. I wasn't aware of them.
1: Yeah, yeah. And, and it's not made a lot of news. Um, but the local um, Latino voters, there's a very large uh, Latino, Latina population in the Yakima Valley. And some of the local voters said, you know, we're just not really seeing the representation that we deserve. And it turns out that there's two people, Bruce Chandler and Brian Sandlin, neither of which sound very, you know, um, Latino, Latina to me. uh, And they're not. They're both white males. They're probably older than you and I. Um, And they won the case that said, hey, we need to have a better opportunity to elect somebody into office who can represent us and has more of our cultural um, understanding. And so they won that case. And so there's going to be some changes in eastern Washington. It doesn't look like it's going to affect any of the districts in western Washington, but they have to go through the process. Um, but right now, the the, the good news, the, the, the likely news is that um, it's just going to affect eastern Washington districts, probably only districts held currently by Republicans at this point.
0: Well, so this is very interesting because this sort of flux and unpredictability is happening all across the country in different areas, right? It
1: is. Yeah, absolutely. And so, for example, um, like North Carolina has already redistricted. New Mexico is in the process. They're still in the courts. Uh, South Carolina um, is currently a case before the Supreme Court. Um Alabama and Louisiana have both already developed new maps. And your listeners may have heard that those are going to open up doors for two Democrats with one group like Sabato's says you have a safe Democratic flip in Louisiana because of that state's redistricting. And Alabama, it looks like um, the ratings are a likely Democrat for a seat that was previously held by Republican
0: pretty remarkable because these are two pretty blood-red states. You often don't see seats flipping uh, in favor of, of Democrats. I figure that there are so there's some redistricting happening that are benefiting the GOP as well, right?
1: Well, there is, in fact. Um, you know, pr- predominantly in uh, North Carolina uh, is benefited the GOP. The New Mexico case uh, would probably also become more favorable to Republicans, which it looks like it's going to be a seat that just becomes more competitive, more of a toss-up. Um, in New York, uh, they just yesterday got their new maps signed into law by their governor. And some of the articles say it's going to help two Democratic seats, but I think it actually helps three, because Tom Swazi, who we know just re- replaced the outgoing George Santos... Yes. That race had been judged a toss up. And now that race, I believe it's a likely Democrat. That's terrific.
0: Yeah. Well, since we're on the subject of New York races, uh, I think there are at least three other uh, pretty competitive races there. Mondaire Jones uh, in 17, uh, Pat Ryan in 18, Josh Riley in New York 19. How are these races looking?
1: man you are you are definitely on the script for sure uh those are key races um and we just actually got some feedback from organizers in new york uh thank you hannah oliver for doing this outreach Mm -hmm. and they said yeah those are three districts seats seating republicans right now these are three seats that are the unrepresentative 18 if you're following indivisible what we were uncertain about is whether the organizers there are getting behind a primary candidate. And it turns out they are for those three seats. So what that means, instead of us having to wait around for the New York primary election to figure out who the progressive candidate is, it's like now we should be supporting them. And we're, we are in the process of adding those into those um, get out the vote resources we have
0: you mentioned um, unrepresentative and that is yeah. uh i believe it was 18 members of congress who were republicans in biden districts that Correct. indivisible has been uh focused yeah. on
1: and one other thing i want to say about new york th- um, there's two other seats that aren't on that list new york fourth and new york's 22nd and one of the, i think it was sabat yeah, sabato's just updated their competitive assessments yesterday after Governor Hochul signed this new bill. And those
0: two seats, formerly toss ups, are now lean Democrat. You know, we were talking at the top about uh, a number of the states that kind of have shifted around a little bit. Uh, You mentioned Nevada. Uh, I understand there's been a shift in focus on a couple of House races here. Briefly, tell us about them.
1: Um, so this is also part of that outreach where, where Hannah is helping us by reaching into the Nevada organizers, you know, th- these are Hannah's counterparts, right? We're sure. indivisible. And we had previously looking at the ratings had identified a Nevada three as, um, uh, a, a really important race. And that's Susie Lee is running in that race. Um, the organizers in Nevada say, you know, Susie's actually got really good support in in the Vegas area. Uh, And so, you know, maybe not so much. But Horsford in in Nevada's fourth, he won by the same amount as Susie last time. He said, that's where you should be thinking about putting your support. So what I'm going to do is check in with the ratings. It's been a little while since I've looked at them, but just to see if the Nevada has changed but I'm thinking we should take the lead of the the organizers there.
0: Absolutely. And and as always, uh, thanks to our wonderful organizer, Hannah, for all their wonderful, wonderful work on all of this. Uh, I also want to discuss uh, some developments here at home in our state. So, you know, since we last spoke, uh fifth CD Congresswoman Kathy McMorris Rogers has announced her retirement to much fanfare and rejoicing. Uh, what What are your thoughts on how this race might be shaping up?
1: Well, there's two things. The first thing I did is I looked at what the win margin was the last time McMorris Rogers ran, and she won basically by 20%. That's a lot. Um, It's a lot. By the way, it's the same amount that Kilmer won, who's stepping down in CD6, right? So generally, our Congress people from Washington have pretty healthy win margins.
0: Particularly Um, when they're incumbents,
1: right? Absolutely. Yeah. And now, now how much of that 20% is due just name recognition, incumbency, I'm kind of seeing evidence that maybe that's somewhere between five, six, seven, eight percent maybe. Um, So I think really a lot depends on who files to run. And uh, I think you had some information that uh, sort of a MAGA Republican was going to
0: jump into that seat. I do, and I don't want to put that out there, but if this particular MAGA Republican did jump in, I think it would change the dynamic of the race. And of course, candidates matter on the Democrat side, too. And so whoever comes out of the jungle primary on top with the Democrats will certainly make a a big deal of difference, great deal of difference. So we're going to be watching that, of course, here. Um,
1: Well, and and in fact, I really would like to I have not had a chance to make this phone call yet, but checking in with our indivisible chapter leaders in the Spokane area
0: just to see what they can tell us, Um, because, again, good guidance is good guidance. I understand there's also some good news uh, and a rating shift for Kim Schreier's race in the 8th, my home district. Tell us about that. It is. It's a good news. The trend
1: is in the right direction. It's not a huge step, but she doesn't need a huge step right now. Um, you know, I give each candidate a score, uh, 0 to 4, where 4 is the most competitive. So the smaller number, the least competitive. So she was at 2.3. Now she's at two. Okay, just slightly smaller number. But what that means is all of the three ratings organizations are calling that race a likely Democrat for 2024.
0: And that's a shift from lean Democrat to likely Democrat, correct?
1: For one of the ratings organizations. Yeah. The other two were already there. right? So So now um,
0: all three are in alignment as as likely Democrat. That's great news.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Now, now of course, it's also, um, you know, who's going to file. And so that's why we keep an eye on this and why you and I have this conversation once a month is to say, okay, what's happened and what does it look like it means in
0: terms of these outcomes that we hope to achieve? Yeah, Dr. Schreier, to my knowledge, has not drawn a Republican challenger of note yet. So we'll keep an eye on that. Um, In terms of legislative races, we've also seen some action in the move to flip the 10th LD blue. This is a district that includes all of Island County as well as parts of Skagit and Snohomish counties. What's the news here? Uh, so they now have so in in the in the tenth
1: they have two Democrats in the House and one Republican senator, Senator Mazal, and there is now apparently a great candidate, Janet St. Clair, who's filed on the Democrat side. Indivisible groups who have people in LD ten, they're checking in with each other just to see, hey hey hey, is this a person that we want to get behind? So we're waiting to hear the outcome of those conversations. But uh, if all of those indivisible groups line up and say, yeah, we want to support this person, then we don't have to wait around for the primary. We can right now start to amplify how to support uh, that Democratic candidate in in the 10th.
0: Janice and Claire. All right. So we'll keep an eye on that, of course, as well. And we'll be checking back in with you uh, as that story develops. You know, I want to give a shout out uh, to a couple of our, our wonderful groups uh, here in the state. As, as we know, there are a number of state executive races this year. A couple of indivisible groups have been doing a ton of work to assess candidates. You want to give them a shout out? Absolutely. Indivisible Tacoma, Olympia Indivisible,
1: ears on, slap yourself on the back. (laughs) Pretty awesome what they're doing. Now, not only have they been pursuing candidate endorsements, um, and I was just talking to my good friend, Lisa Ornstein, who on a Zoom call showed me the kind of work they're doing. I had actually never looked at the data sheets. It was very, very comprehensive. Um, And so now what's happening is they got a new and very, energetic, new member of Olympia Indivisible, uh, Edie, who is like, how can we work together? And so uh, I talked to Julie from Tacoma, and she says, hey, I'm happy to share all of our information. Let's really combine all of this. So what I'm hoping in the next few days is we'll find a way to create an online structure for groups who are doing candidate endorsements to be able to share the research data. And now there's about three or four other groups in the state who also do that kind of work, and so we want to touch base with them and see if they want to also join the coalition of indivisible chapters who are doing that kind of work. So sharing information, getting per- probably a you know a broader perspective based on the information they can gather. Um, I think we'll you know let them do their thing in terms of exactly how they do the evaluation. Sure. Um, but once they have that, the next question is, hey, how do we make sure that people see? the outcomes you know of their work and so we got quite a few resources um including i guess a podcast um maybe possibly a we're podcast. going to be
0: partnering yeah, uh, that, uh, that, yeah that is uh, watch this space as Rachel Maddow is fond of saying, for more developments on that front. We will be partnering on some town halls upcoming uh, with Indivisible Tacoma and potentially other groups as well on some congressional and statewide executive races. You heard it here first. Uh, And then finally, let's talk about ways that people can get involved, since, of course, that's where everybody's head is at right now. Uh, The first is with our good friend Tan. So this, of course, is the take action network. Uh, You have a special elections group sign up. Tell us about that.
1: We do. Um, so um, if you thought that TAN was only something you thought about for legislative actions, think again. <laughs> um, we know that you want to get out there on indivisiblevashon.org, the top of the home page, click on the banner, at the top, you go to the Get Out the Vote page, you'll find the Candidates page, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But the other thing we are, have done, thank you for Daniel for helping us do this, is those candidates... Can be added into Take Action Network, and as a TAN user, you can basically—I call—I like to call it—subscribe to that candidate's organization. Now, Daniel would call this a TAN search,
0: and this is Daniel Weiss, who is the creator of the Take Action Network.
1: It is. But once you once you sign on to TAN, and once you create those searches, which is super easy to do, um, then what TAN does is, if there's an opportunity to, for you to support that candidate you get an email to tell you about it. And so here's here's now, get out your pens and pencils, bit.ly, B-I-T dot L-Y forward slash, the rest is all capital letters, TAN elections. No spaces, TAN elections, all caps. When you get that document popped open, the very first thing you're going to see is links to join Take Action Network. The next thing you're going to see is How do I sign up for the WIN elections communications, where about once a week we send out, hey, here's what's new in terms of, you know, how you can volunteer to help out in in which states. Um, And then there's some TAN um, training videos that are in there. There's a list of things that you might want to hear about, like flip the House or defend the Senate. And uh, so those are simple things. You just click, and those searches get automatically added to your Tan dashboard, which means Tan is going to now send you stuff that it finds. Um, and also at the very bottom, another shout out: Kevin Lesja, Tan training, forty-five minute online. Get on Zoom with Kevin. He'll show you the ropes, show you how to navigate your way around Take Action Network, um, <clears throat> which makes it much much easier, right, to to, to jump right in and get ac- active.
0: Absolutely. So many resources here. Uh, Really, thank you for putting all that together in conjunction with Kevin, of course. uh, Kevin up in uh, Indivisible Bellingham and, of course, Daniel Weiss, uh, who we're ever grateful to for uh, his creation of the Take Action Network. You know, before I let you go... Um, We know that people are very concerned about these initiatives that are going to be on the November ballot. We're not sure how many at this point. This is the so-called Let's Go Washington initiatives. They're looking to roll back progress on things like climate tax equity. Um, We're going to be covering uh, in the following weeks how people can really take action to stop these initiatives. But right now, is there anything that, that people can do to get involved?
1: well um at this point i say be patient and have faith uh that's one thing uh if you have access to the win state calls uh in we in february we had uh
0: treasurer mackley from invest in washington now
1: yeah absolutely uh and now in march we're going to have lennon bronsama from Washington Conservation Action, joined by Rosie Barber, who was going to join us in February, but who had a sick, an illness that took her out. They are already working together. And so they're gonna tell us from their perspective uh, what's gonna happen. So the, the bottom line is I understand it right now, Stefan, the state legislator is working out the best possible strategies to protect our legislative gains that we've made over the last five or six years, right? And as you, you say, um, you know, all six of those initiatives could end up on the ballot or something else might happen. And they're working through that right now. Uh, but, but the Defend Washington coalition has formed. There's multiple groups. And the latest I heard in talking to Lennon, Lennon Bronsima, is um, the Defend Washington coalition may very well remain in place to provide oversight support for member groups who are going to create campaigns around potentially each one of the initiatives now if they do that just like a candidate being added to tan you can subscribe to how do i support re-election of dr schreier i hope we can add an organization to tan about how do i support for example the no on initiative 2117 which is would repeal the climate commitment act right Um, on that last one by the way um, I have a place you can go. So this one I can say for sure. com forward slash, there's a little bit more here, 5105614. And you can sign up to get the no on 2117 info. Uh, which basically is going to keep you posted on the attempts to preserve that all-important Climate Commitment Act, which makes polluters pay, and the money that they pay allows us to implement uh, climate-friendly improvements to the way we live.
0: Absolutely right. Uh, So many moving parts here right now, but uh, we will be uh, keeping everybody uh, really up to date on all of the latest developments on how you can get involved. And certainly at this point, uh, I think your overarching point is awareness is key. So really keep yourself plugged into this situation. and We'll be giving you information as we get it. Uh, Kevin, thanks as always, my friend. We'll see you next month. I'm
1: looking forward to that and uh, we'll see what's changing on the electoral front.
0: And that'll do it for this week. The executive producer of the show is Kat Pipkin. If you would like to see a video version of this podcast, head to facebook.com slash indivisible podcast. The email address for the show is indivisiblepodcast at gmail.com. Special thanks to Lori Cowell, And as always, my thanks to you for listening. I'm Stephen Cox, and we'll talk to you next time. Bye.